Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, Eric Kareen. Eric, how are you, buddy? I'm all right. How are you, Blake? I'm doing well. It's, uh, you know, uh, it's Halloween. I'm feeling spooky. A little werewolf bar mitzvah action for you. Spooky scary. Boys becoming men. And men becoming wolves, Blake. Yes. Yes. Um, we talked to you guys very recently. However, I'm going on the road for a West Coast trip, and I didn't want to have to record and pack a mic and everything like that. So we're coming to you with another edition this week. Uh, also, part of the reason for that is that the Raptors had two pretty big games this week. They played at the Milwaukee Bucks. They returned home to host the Philadelphia 76ers on the second night of a back-to-back. Uh, it was an interesting two games, to say the least, and there's a lot more to talk about than there was uh, when we talked Monday and they were 6-0 and everything was rolling along other than the nebulous plan for Kawhi Leonard. On Monday, the Raptors traveled to Milwaukee and lost 124-109 in a game that was actually probably even more dispiriting than that final score. The caveats being Fred Van Vliet, sidelined. OG Ananobi, sidelined. Kawhi Leonard, resting. Uh, And DeLon Wright, first game back, looking very much like it was his first game back after a couple weeks down. Eric, that Milwaukee game... Uh, even with the three and a half of the team's best, maybe eight players out, a little bit of a wake-up call for the Toronto Raptors. For sure. Uh, I mean, their defense was pretty atrocious that game. In particular, uh, I mean, early on, just the on-ball defense on the perimeter was was very bad, which you could sort of expect given Kawhi Leonard and OG Ananobi, their two most, let's say, physical wing defenders were were out of the lineup, uh, and c- certainly Fred Vliet would have Van Fred Van Vliet would have helped on Eric Bledsoe, and then the the transition defense just sort of fell apart, especially with the makeshift second unit. Uh, multiple times you saw two Raptors migrating to one Milwaukee Buck, leaving. Uh, you know, there was one time where Tony Snell was wide open in transition. There was one time where Ursan Ilyasova was given a free cut to the basket because they didn't co- communicate on a, I don't remember if it was a pick and roll or just a straight cut situation. Um, and so, I mean, these are basic communication uh, things that have to be resolved no matter who's in the lineup because it, it's not it's not a complicated thing you you got to know where you're running to and you've got to communicate that and it was not promising uh, especially given that their best player their best creator was uh not on the floor yeah and, and then you also had the element on the other end and, and nick nurse talked about this yesterday that part of the issue with the defense particularly in transition was that the team couldn't score even without Giannis and Tedekumpo, who was uh, held out as he's in the league's concussion protocol right now. Um, even without him, the Bucks still did a good job pushing off of misses and getting out in transition uh, and spraying out the shooters from there. Bledsoe's very good at that, even though you know people seem to forget sometimes that not it wasn't very long ago that Bledsoe was considered very good uh, and, and a big addition for Milwaukee. So um, yeah, the, playoffs, they did not- the playoffs really hurt his stock in, in yeah. the public consciousness when he got sort of Outplayed roundly by Terry Rozier. 
Yeah. I think also what that, you know, what why I think the game, the game on Monday was not panicky, um, but why it was maybe like, okay, this this is this feels like something in retrospect that we should have seen coming. Uh, the Raptors have not been doing a great job defending the three-point line. Per cleaning the glass, they are 21st in the portion of uh, opponent shots that are coming from beyond the three-point line. So, in other words, opponents are taking threes at a top 10 rate against the Raptors, and they're hitting them at a 39.5% clip. Now, what we know in the big picture is that teams do not have a ton of influence over opponent three-point percentage in the long run. Uh, they're you're better off trying to limit the number of three-point attempts, which teams do have control over. And unless you're the Boston Celtics, um, teams are going to vary in their three-point percentage against you. Now, obviously, there's there's some difference there based on the quality of looks, and, and I think the Raptors have been guilty about giving up some quality transition looks, uh, and Monday highlighted that. Eric, where the Raptors are in terms of their three-point defense in general, is there something you're seeing schematically? Is it just as simple as the communication and transition? Is a lot of this noise through eight games? Or do the Raptors have, you know, an area they need to clean up with the three-point defense here? Um, you know, I think the switching certainly, you you listen to the Raptors talk about what, what finally let them put, put away the Sixers on on Sunday, on whatever day it was, on Tuesday, yeah, uh, and Nick Nurse mentioned they just started switching everything, uh, so that lets you know that when they're not doing that, the communication is not on point, and maybe the knowledge of what to switch and what not to switch is not being, you know, downloaded to the to the uh, optimal level, it's not... It, it's not in all of their memories, it's not something they're necessarily keeping straight, and Nick Nurse did say that, you know, they add, they added the switching elements pretty late. They wanted to yeah. get that base defense down. And so some of the miscommunication on switches, and I thought Milwaukee killed them with some off-ball actions where the switch got miscommunicated and guys just slipped out for cuts. Um, so, yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a little bit to, to work on. That. Yeah, didn't mean to cut and you because off. of that, I, I'm not – sorry, go ahead. I, I just started talking over you. No, I was just trying to slide that nurse note in is all. I, I had cut you off initially, so it's only right that you cut me off back. Yes. Um, I Because of that, because of what nurse said about sort of the timing of putting things in defensively, I'm not overly concerned about this, especially because OG Ananobi hasn't been in the lineup and uh, Kawhi Leonard missed, uh, has missed both games on the road. Uh, who would have had Kawhi Leonard loving Toronto so much that he refuses to leave at all? Someone, you know? I think it was Will Will Lou tweeted out that because he had missed both of those games, he'd been in Toronto straight since the Montreal uh, Montreal exhibition like games or something. Right? Yeah, twenty two straight days in Toronto. The long con here by Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster. Maybe they're secretly just going to make sure his passport expires or something. I I, I don't know. I don't know what the play is here. Anyway, uh, to wrap up the point, I'm not overly concerned because I think once their full uh, repertoire of perimeter defenders is back, uh, they have so much talent and so much malleability on that end that I don't think there's an obvious reason why that should continue. Uh, You know, if we're still talking about this in three weeks, then we have to uh, reconsider that. 
Okay, I want to talk about uh, the defense still, um, and we'll we'll get to Kawhi later on because that's an evergreen topic that we'll be able to talk about all season if we don't get to it today, probably. Um, interestingly enough, even though the Raptors have given up a higher-than-average rate of threes at a very nice percentage, they're still fifth in the NBA in opponent-effective field goal percentage and 11th in defense if you exclude um, garbage time as cleaning the glass does. So not great on that end. But the fact that they're fifth in effective field goal percentage really speaks to how good a job they've done inside the three-point line. And I think if you've watched the games and the Raptors' defense statistically has performed better than maybe your eye test might suggest, I think the first instinct people would have is that, well, they're doing such a good job of forcing turnovers. And they are doing that in some games. They're not doing that um, all over necessarily. What the Raptors are doing exceptionally well is defending everything inside the three-point line. They are the best defense in basketball in terms of opponent field goal percentage at the rim, or if you prefer, in terms of points saved at the rim. Um, Opponents are shooting only 55.1% at the rim against the Raptors. Uh, The short mid-range, that kind of floater range, the the paint but non-restricted area twos, 29.5%. 29.5%. That's the third best mark in the league. And then even on long mid-range shots... Uh, by by the are... way, Serge Ibaka can't miss from that area right now. It's impossible. Uh, from the short mid-range, yes. Like, he'll just he'll hit everything. Yeah, he's also an elite, like, not elite for a big man, an elite long mid-range shooter. Um, so it's always funny to see him kind of take those shots that the Raptors over the years have tried to extricate from their offense, but Ibaka's very good at them. So he has. Yeah, I think the problem comes, and you and I, I mean, we were sitting next to each other last night when he took his one shot and he just holds it for four seconds and then takes the shot. Like, I I don't know what the data is on him taking, you know, a shot when he holds the ball for that long, (laughs) but it's certainly not what this offense is meant to produce. Like, if that, if that comes on a, you know, off a few passes, that's one thing. If the ball dies in his hands and he, you know, contemplates life and then takes a shot, that's, <laughs> that's a different matter. It, it's interesting. I had the number, just because I have the numbers in front of me, that uh, the Raptors, it would feel like they've shot more mid-range shots maybe because Leonard and Abaka have both worked in the mid-range a lot, but their shot spectrum is pretty average across the board. Uh, they've just hit all their mid-range shots, which yeah. is a good way to do it. When you're shooting over 50% on those mid-range looks, they're suddenly not hyper-inefficient looks, you know? Um, back to the defense, works. though. Yeah, yeah. Sorry yeah back to interrupt. the defense, though. They, they are doing a great job defending the rim and defending the short mid-range. That's something that the defense did last year as well. They were second in rim defense last year. Uh, they were among the hot, the best teams in the league at just contesting shots and getting a contest on everything, whether that was Pirtle and Valanciunas and Noguera and Ibaka, or whether that was the rear view contests that you see that, that DeLon Wright and Norman Powell have both gotten pretty good at, where you, know, you trail your man over the screen and then he pulls up and you sneak in from behind and get him. Uh, one of the Raptors got blocked on one of those last night. I forget whom, but uh, they, they got kind of hoisted by their own petard there. <laughs> so this is this is the second I have no year. I don't know what that phrase means. Like I, I know what it means. I just don't know what the uh, etymology is uh, behind uh, it. Yes. Well, some guy at one point had a petard and he was hoisting was everyone else, and then he hoisted himself by accident. Yeah. Clearly, classic, classic petard hoisting. Yeah, um, but this is the second year in a row the Raptors have done a really good job in those areas, and you know the defense is not the same as last year. You're not seeing quite as 
Um, dogmatic a commitment to the big dropping back in the pick and roll to protect those areas. Uh, but you are seeing a lot of crashing toward the paint once the ball gets in there. And, and you can do that against Philly. There there was, you know, kind of an interesting contrast between how they defended Milwaukee and how they defended Philly, even though those teams are shaped similarly, where the Raptors just always had three or four bodies in the paint against Ben Simmons and Markel Fultz and Joel Embiid, um, where there are just a lot of arms around the rim. And Danny Green's going to get him back there. He's among the best guards in the league uh, when he's defending near the rim. Kawhi Leonard has been really good around there to a ridiculous degree, as you pointed out in your piece the other day, uh, opponent field goal percentage against him at the rim. Ibaka has been good. Valanciunas has always been kind of, well, not always, but he's mostly been solid um, around the rim. So that stuff has worked out really well. Now, the degree to which all of this is sustainable, if they keep um, allowing as many threes as they are at the rate they are, is a little dicey, uh, compounded by the fact that running topic here in the podcast, uh, the Raptors are the fourth worst defensive rebounding team in the league so far. Uh, if you were to pick one of these things, because we have to be panicky, Eric, it's Halloween. We have to be haunted. We have to be spooked. Which of these defensive elements are, are you most concerned about? It, to me, actually, I'll let you. I've talked. Are we a lot counting about defensive rebounding? Yes. So defensive rebounding yeah. or I, I, the volume of three point or the transition defense, what aspect of their defense is I the most alarming? I think defensive rebounding is the most alarming because just from a talent standpoint, that's where you can see the the talent deficit on this roster is uh, if they're going to stick to the way they're, they're using one big man, which don't get me wrong, I believe they should. Uh, seems like after every game, one person asks me about Greg Monroe and why he's not playing. I, I mean, anyway, we don't need to answer that question. I think it's pretty obvious why he's not playing. Uh, but this is a team that is not particularly big. And when Serge Ibaka is at the center, he he's, you know, he's not a very good rebounder for that position. And even though they have some guys who can contribute all over the court, uh, nothing really makes up for that sort of loss of positioning. So there's going to have to be a lot of sandwich rebounding. There's going to have to be the guards crashing in. But sometimes Joel Embiid is going to be, you know, just taking advantage of Serge Ibaka. And that's why I think, you know, I certainly thought that Jonas Valanciunas would get the start last night. Uh, didn't happen. You know, I, I wouldn't draw too many conclusions since they, they still play three more times and then maybe again in the playoffs. Uh, but Nurse seems to be swinging toward starting Ibaka more often than not based on the five-man uh, numbers. That, that lineup has been awesome, but you know, it's sort of getting away to an extent of what the talking points earlier in the season uh, were. Yeah, I would uh, I would agree with that. The defensive rebounding, there's not, you know, I've been asked not only about Greg Monroe, but, you know, hey, is there anyone on the market they could trade for that would help with the defensive rebounding? And the answer to that is not that would see rotation minutes. Now, I think part of the answer that they could come to against some opponents is to go back to playing Ibaka and Valanciunas together a little bit. I was surprised we didn't see that more um, while they were down three rotation pieces, just because, you know, Greg Monroe is a more useful piece in general than, say, Lorenzo Brown and Malachi Richardson right now. Uh, And defensive rebounding has been a huge issue for you. And you weren't playing teams that without Giannis, um, you know, and you couldn't, you probably don't want to do that when Redick is on the floor for the Sixers. But when you're playing one of those like space deficient lineups, you could maybe get away with it a little bit more. 
Um, anyway, I think at some point they could go back to that. I know it's working out really well, rotating those guys. They're both playing very well. Jonas Valanciunas' per 36 minutes are insane. He's he's averaging a career high in points right now and a career low of minutes, and he's getting a career high touches. And like, if you do that per minute, it's like much, much higher. Um, he, uh, he leads the team in player efficiency rating, in case you were wondering. I wasn't. I don't like that stat. Yeah, well, people do. Yeah, I know. I'm just giving you a hard time, man. Um, but yeah, he's been really good. And I think, you know, first of all, that's a hell of a way to sell him coming off the bench to him. It's like, hey, you know, you're not coming off the bench and your minutes are down, but look at how much we're feeding you in that second unit. And they haven't always done that well. I thought they did a great job of it Tuesday night. Uh, not to get too off topic here, um, but yeah, I think they've used Valanciunas mostly well when he's come off the bench. And it certainly helps when the bench unit around him is not Lorenzo Brown, Norman Powell, Malachi Richardson. Um, no disrespect although, to those players. Although Randy gets all of the touches. Right, know? but he doesn't so, get them in very dynamic ways. Yeah, yeah um, for sure. I thought the bench, I mean, mostly a product of DeLon Wright looking better last night was the bench looked a little better. But Would you say that, he's the best player in the world? I mean, perpetually. Um, yeah. But they miss Van Vliet as a primary creator for that lineup and uh, they miss OG as another three-point shooter for sure. Yeah. Um, the issue with Van Vliet is that watching him closely on the bench in two of these games that he's missed, um, you know, he might just stay on the coaching staff at this point. I don't know. I'm sure he'd love to be out there, but he he's coaching as much as anyone while he's How on the sidelines. How many coaches make $9 million a year though? That's true. Certainly not Nick Nurse. Uh, uh, I would guess not. He does not. We know. I think he got three years, ten million. You know who's making seven million dollars a year? Who? Scotty Brooks. Oh yeah. Well, and he's about to. He's a, He's about to get paid all of that to go take a walk. So congratulations to Ty Lue, by the way. Yeah. What a mess that is. Brooks anyway. has got to be the next one down, right? I mean, I've heard people who are more plugged in that situation say that maybe Ted Leonsis isn't eager to eat that money. And we have seen the Wizards start terribly before uh, and then climbing their way back to friskiness only to, you know, fall apart in the playoffs. So I'm not ruling that scenario out completely, but oh my God, they're like, you know, I thought that losing to Memphis could incite change and maybe it still will. I mean, we're recording this on Thursday at, at, at or Wednesday at 3 p.m. Uh, the day is young-ish. Uh, <laughs> but that just seems like a scenario where something has to change. And Lord knows it's not going to be trading John Wall. Yeah, no one's going to take that. Maybe the Kings. Maybe the Kings will take that. But hey, De'Aaron Fox looks good. Yeah. Everything's turned I mean, around for the Kings. It's the perfect time for the Kings to trade for him. The 5-3 and three Sacramento Kings. It was funny today writing about... Um, well, it's not funny to write about the Raptors not picking up their option on Malachi Richardson for 2019-20 because that sucks. Malachi seems like a nice guy. He's progressed a little bit. He's just not where he needs to be to be worth all the tax that he's he would cost next year. Um, however, it was funny to go back and look at that trade and be like, oh yeah, the Kings gave up on one first-round pick just to be out of his 2019-20 deal after a season and a half. And then also at the same time cut Giorgio's Papagiannis, who was also a first-round pick in that same draft, after they had already picked up his option. They're paying him $2 million this year to go play in Greece. Yeah, it's a good life for Giannis's dad. Yeah, Papa Giannis. Uh, okay, 
So the Raptors, some defensive issues on Monday night, certainly some defensive issues the first eight or nine minutes of the fourth quarter on Tuesday. They come out, they get a 26-point lead against the 76ers. Uh, The first half, you know, the numbers were gaudy, but because of the pace teams are playing at right now, the Raptors in particular, um, you know, you can't really measure them by points per game anymore. Their first half defensive rating was actually quite on point, uh, helped by the fact that Kawhi Leonard basically possessed Ben Simmons and just force made him force turnovers all over. I, I enjoyed 11. how we both we we both used the same clip on the first defensive possession of of the game, just him taking the ball out of Ben Simmons' yes. hands. Yeah. So um, positive residual on Twitter had some great stats about that matchup. Uh, Leonard guarded Simmons on sixty percent of the of the possessions that they were on the floor for. Um, he had four steals himself just from Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, a career-high 11 turnovers, a career-worst uh, turnover percentage in a game, something close to 50%, which is Whew. crazy. Uh, the Raptors forced 23 turnovers on the game as a whole. Um, obviously, there was that slippage in the fourth quarter. As rough a night as Ben Simmons had, uh, the Ben Simmons, J.J. Redick, Joel Embiid three-man action where they orchestrate on one side of the floor with two spot-up shooters on the other side is really, really difficult to guard. Uh, the Raptors, as we mentioned, had some trouble with it, eventually switched, uh, started switching a little bit and, and reined it in that way. Uh, but they figured it out. They pulled away late, a couple big shots late. Notable in that they closed and tried to stabilize late with the same unit that they've started with a couple times. That unit being Kyle Lowry, Danny Green, Kawhi Leonard, Pascal Siakam, Serge Ibaka. That seems to be all else equal the lineup that Nick Nurse is going to start with. Uh, if he doesn't have a good reason not to. They've played 79 minutes together now. They have a plus 29.5 net rating. That's a, a very good offensive rating, a very good defensive rating. Uh, curious, or I guess it's not curious because it follows some logic here. Jonas Valanciunas has played in Serge Ibaka's place with that group for 39 minutes. An even higher O rating, an even lower D rating. 46.8 net rating. The takeaway there, I think, is that Lowry Green... Leonard and Siakam are really, really good together. Yeah. Um, it's a long season. And uh, in my conversation with CJ Miles uh, after the game last night, I, he reminded me of that. Uh, you know, we were talking about the Raptors having played the three other consensus sort of potential conference winners. Uh, and, all of these teams are going to look different down the road. So you never know if OG Ananobi, I mean, how many games has he played? Three, four? Like, yes, I, he's I, played I, three. Uh, so we can't really say, you know, Siakam's ahead of OG permanently. But you can see what having another creator on the floor does for uh, Lowry and, and Kawhi Leonard. Because Danny Green isn't... Uh, he has a bit of that to his game, but I, I don't think he comes with the normal creation that, you know, the the two-guard spot, uh, you know, usually has in it. Uh, so getting another guy who can uh, create either in transition, uh, although he's taking literally every opportunity to do that. <laughs> and while I think that's better than being passive, I would suggest there's some sort of middle ground he can seek because uh, he still tries to do all of the things. And, you know, he's not Ben Simmons turnover happy, but he can be turnover happy. But he's he the dabbles. Point is, he, 
he dabbles. He can create in transition. He can create in the half part, half uh, half court. court. Nurse pointed out uh, the way he uses the space that defenders give him. That you know they're sagging off of of off of him because he doesn't have a three point shot. Sort of similar to the way Ben Simmons typically does that. Uh, and the key for him there is just being decisive. And I think. I, I know he ended up with a career high in points against Milwaukee, but there were two early possessions in which he was given the shot and he just paused for a second, and that made all the difference. The, the, you know, the defense gets back to positioning, the passing lanes closed down, and uh, I think he missed a tough reverse and uh, turned the ball over on, on another instance. So, yeah. you know, it's hard. I'm telling him to be, you know, player, less aggressive. Not fully developed yet. Yeah. Yeah, I'm probably going to be less aggressive in transition and more aggressive in the, in the half court. It's tough to do this stuff in real time, especially for a player with, you know, the limited track record that Siakam has. But, you know, the ingredients that he brings to that unit, uh, the four-man unit at least that we're talking about, are uh, tantalizing. Uh, he's, yeah, been, he's, been very, sure. he's been very good. I think you also almost said half pipe instead of half court at one point, and now I'm trying to picture Pascal Siakam uh, skateboarding. I might have really also funny. almost said half pint. Who knows? Oh well, that's that's enticing. Uh, anyway, I would say on balance that was probably the best two game stretch of Siakam's career outside of the G League Finals. Uh, it was very good. It was very good. He was They weren't quite thirty and ten performances that he was putting up with the nine hundred five, but they're pretty good, and against slightly better competition. Yeah. No disrespect to Kyle Wilcher, but yeah. all of the disrespect to Kyle Wilcher, treacherous, the treacherous Kyle Wilcher. So our takeaway there is that that four man group is pretty good together. Uh, the Raptors are going to continue to try to be flexible and versatile and try different things in those spots. Um, but I think, I think we have an idea or we're starting to at least get an idea of if there were a tight game, everything else on balance, that might be the five some that they go with the Baca. Certainly for the, uh, for the short term, yeah, yes, depending, you know, depending matchups, which you said, everything else being equal, nothing is ever equal. Things are not equal, no, no, but so, uh, yeah, yes, look- that is a go-to lineup that will be that will that Nick Nurse will continue to go to. Yes, let's look at the West Coast trip, Blake. Yes, let's look at the West Coast trip. The Raptors, your Toronto Raptors, are seven and one. They have played six of their eight games at home. They haven't had a trip longer than one game. They're finally hitting the road. And I don't say finally because I need them to hit the road. I'm pretty eager to go on the road myself for what's really the first time. Not really, but feels like the first time. Um, And then, you know, Kyle Lowry spoke to the value of these kind of trips the other day about how, you know, they can help a team. Um, You kind of, you know, forge forge some things in the fire, right? You, You build a little chemistry this way. Um, it's good to test yourself. It's good to not be too comfortable for too long, which I think, you know, they, they haven't looked that way, but maybe Milwaukee was, uh, oh yeah, there haven't been a lot of tests yet because the schedule, even, even though they've played Boston, Washington, Milwaukee, and Philly, ostensibly, you know, top five, top six teams in the East schedule hasn't been that tough when you consider the home side and stuff. So this West coast trip should be telling. They are in Phoenix on Friday against the Lakers on Sunday, Utah on Monday on a tough, tough back-to-back that I would suggest if you are Kawhi watching, that would probably be a game that Kawhi Leonard sits. And then on the Wednesday in Sacramento. So it's four road games over six days. 
Uh, one against a very good team in a tough place to play. One, the, the Phoenix game, a very winnable game. Sacramento playing a pretty feisty style of basketball right now. And then the Lakers are the Lakers. And it's LeBron James. And that'll always be, um, you know, a fun matchup that could also be a 30-point blow. Because who knows? It's the Lakers and they're weird. Um, Eric, I am going to ask you. You, you're, you've been right all season so far. You haven't gotten. I know I'm the undefeated. Week, the week, you haven't gotten the weekly record wrong yet. We're not going to drop a podcast. I don't think I've next... gotten the game. I don't think I've gotten the games wrong. Well, you only picked uh, one loss, so you, and you got that one right. Yeah. So, yeah. and that was that was before we knew Leonard and Giannis were were sitting. So, yeah. uh, good foresight on your part. Before we knew in finger quotes, because I shared my conspiracy theory that Leonard was definitely sitting that game, and it turned out to be accurate. Um, okay, so <laughs> well, I mean. Not based on the conspiracy you have, as far as we know. Yeah, yeah, the reasoning's not right, but realize, Unless it is. realize, yeah. realize, Eric. Uh, okay, <laughs> four four games. We won't be coming back until um, late next week after I'm back off the road. So we have four games to pick, Eric. Yeah, uh, first of all, let me pitch you a story idea. Sure. Uh, while you're on the road. Uh, since Kawhi Leonard we're guessing, won't play in Utah. Uh, maybe they don't send him to Utah at all. They're just like, we want to save you that flight. Uh, go take the train. You know, spend a few days at home, and then go take the train to Sacramento from Los Angeles. you got to get on that train, Blake. Yeah, well, what I was going to say is, what if, what if Kawhi shows me around L.A.? That will also work. Or San Diego, make them take you to La Jolla. It's beautiful. And I will uh, just, everywhere it. we go, I'll be like, yeah, this is great. But you know what? Toronto has this slightly better thing that's the exact same. Yeah, you can you can run the entire transcript on The Athletic. It will be shorter than most of your stories. Uh, and it will be great. Yeah. It'll be good. Hey, <laughs> look, there's the ocean. You know what's even better? Lake Ontario. Oh, hey, yes. there's a wing stop. You know what's even better? Crown and Dragon. <laughs> we got this. Uh, games. I'm going to go chalk here. What I think is chalk. Uh, when, there's no chalk on a West Coast trip. Yeah. Yeah, like part of me is like they're going to go two, on two, two and two on this trip. Like West Coast trips are just hard. But I think this team's really good. So I'm going win Phoenix, win Lakers, loss Utah, win Sacramento. So. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they go two and two and, and drop either the game in Sacramento or the game in Los Angeles. But yeah, uh, that's what I'm thinking too. Like Phoenix is a win. Utah's a loss. The other two, you probably give the Raptors, you know, 55, 45 against the Lakers, 65, 35 against the Kings. But that, that might even be strong. These are West coast road games. So um, yeah, they, they'll probably go two and two. I just don't know which side, which the second loss yeah. is. That's why but it's I'm hard holding- to, that's why I'm just saying three and one because I think I, on balance, I would pick them to win both of those games. Yeah. But there's, you know, the Raptor historian and me and just the NBA follower that says it's really hard to be this good on, on, be that good on, on these sorts of trips. Yeah. And like, especially because this one's kind of a weird one. So we know that like, like this is, I'm speaking roughly, I don't have the data in front of me, but we know that like east or uh, north-south travel is a little easier than east-west travel because it's time zones kind of mess you up. And they bounce around time zones on this one a little bit. Um, they kind of zigzag Phoenix, LA, Utah, Sacramento. It's kind of a weird trip. 
I could see them being Phoenix, a little slow. Oh, Phoenix is only two hours at this time of year, correct? Right. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Just, I don't. Just, I don't know. The weird place that doesn't believe in daylight savings. It's a nine. It's a nine. P, it's a nine p.m. start, so it must. Be. Okay. Yeah, it must because yeah, it's a weeknight sure. start. So, um, yeah, and then the LA game is a nine thirty start. A nice early tip on the Sunday. Yeah, that's a that's a classic uh, sort of NBA staple. The Sunday night uh, nine thirty at Staples. The we don't want to have a shoot around time. Yeah, it's the obviously it's their version of the Raptors six o'clock uh, start. I like that yeah. a half hour makes all the difference. Yeah, it's it's funny to me, but um, okay. So let's the only the only game on this trip that I think is I, the Utah game is going to be illuminating because Utah is really good, and you always want to see how you measure up against teams like that. The Lakers one I think is the most interesting from a talking point perspective because it's LeBron and it's the Lakers, and they've started two and five. Um, and they are quite, quite bad on defense, but humming along pretty okay on offense, even though they can't shoot threes. Um, have you have you gotten to see much of the Lakers so far? Do you have any thoughts on the Lakers? I've only seen a bit. I think they should play their young players more, um, you know. Which Generally is, which a good idea. Uh, I mean, they're just, their quote-unquote veterans aren't very good. And... While I like the idea of of running and you know not necessarily playing how LeBron teams have always pay, played, uh, it's you know it's okay to have a bit of shooting around him so you can run and then kick out for those threes as opposed to you know uh, whatever it is that the Rondo Stevenson JaVale McGee LeBron units try to yeah. do. How well, McGee's, McGee's been Corbin's? good because McGee's been good because you know that that kind of super athletic vertical yeah. threat fits well yeah. with LeBron. Uh, yeah. They could use another big somewhere, but sure. Play Michael uh, Beasley at center. Free bees. How how long until Kyle Corver is a uh, Kyle Corver is a Laker? Uh, I, I don't guess think December fifteenth would be the answer. I think he's becoming a Philadelphia 76er. You can also see that. Jared Bayless and a pick for Kyle Korver. How many times has Kyle Korver been traded for like a pick? I don't know. Only one. It's still maddening that Atlanta gave him away for a late first. Not gave him away. That late first still exists. It's still a thing. It's still an asset. It's the LeBron LeBron conspiracy. Yeah. Um, Okay, man. I don't know if we have that much more to talk about. Do you have anything else you want to discuss? Seems like it was a lot. Uh... What's uh? What are you most excited about for the ride? Mm, I don't really know. I don't know what to expect. I've never been to LA before. Never been to Southern uh, California. I've never been to Staples. Um. Uh, so enjoy. That. Is it wrong to say I'm most excited about uh, seeing Gilgis Alexander <laughs> on a Raptors trip? I'm doing. Yeah, because he's been he's been really fun. I like him a Probably lot. just say like going to the beach once. Like that would be the correct answer. I don't even know if uh, I'm going to do something like that though. That seems very unlike me to not just spend the whole time working. Well, use this opportunity uh, as one to uh, possibly grow and expand your horizons. Yeah, I do have a, a free day where there's no practice and no game. It's a beautiful be part cool. of the world. Um, so enjoy it. Um, yeah. Happy Halloween. Yeah. 
please, uh, if you're listening to this and you haven't read my Kyle Lowry story, go read oh, yeah, that. It was really good. Good job. Thank you. Um, and the whole, while I'm pimping that, I can also say the whole heartbeat series on the athletic has been great. It's the athletic.com slash. I don't remember something like heartbreak heartbeat NBA or eh, it'd be good if I knew these things, nah, but yeah, it's the heartbeat of the NBA. There's a series of them. There've been a couple every day. Um, they're all, I haven't read all of them yeah. yet, but the ones I have read have all been pretty good. Yeah. There's a lot of competition uh, for, the number, so- for the second best one behind the Kyle Lowry one, you know? <laughs> I, w- I, I wouldn't say that. Uh, I would only think it. I do. I got your back. My hype man. Yeah, exactly. How, lo- how long until you turn on me like Dean Ambrose? You've been watching too much wrestling, Eric. Becky Lynch, Dean Ambrose. This is all in your head. <laughs> you've been watching. Is that the first time you've ever said that sentence? Probably. Probably. No, my one brother watches entirely too much wrestling. I'm sure I've said it before. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool, cool, yeah. Cool, the cool. turn where you what you watch more wrestling than me, and our listeners watch some of our listeners watch more wrestling than me has been a, a very strange one. Uh, and for you Riverdale fans, I I should be caught up. This is the most important thing about Blake going on this trip is that it will give me time to catch up on Riverdale. Yeah. Uh, and so, again, that's because the Raptors will be on the road, not because I take up so much of Eric's time. That's freaking yeah. so weirdly that. I'm me leaving is why you can catch up on Riverdale. I did watch the first two episodes and they were terrible. Have you checked out Sabrina and, yet? No, I don't really think I'm going to devote more time to that world. Uh, Unbelievable. But <laughs> you know, between uh, professional wrestling and whatever we want to call that world, like that's enough terrible entertainment yep. that i can empty calories uh yeah uh and like the prestige dramas that i like aren't even on right now I, so, that's that's honestly I, why i've been able to keep up is that there's nothing else on yeah. other than yeah, like although i don't even I don't, I don't even know how many prestige dramas i watch at this point uh but yeah, it's just like all trash and the good place, which I'm enjoying, but not to the extent of season two. I was. Yeah, it's a weird. Se- I feel like maybe it's a transition season anyway. Like they, to keep the show open beyond three or four seasons, they have to go through this. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Although I'm, any I'm not chance to doubt those any, that group of people. Any chance to visit uh, Jacksonville is okay by by me, yeah. except for a literal chance to visit it, which <laughs> I don't want to do. Yeah. Well, luckily there will be no reason the Jaguar. Oh, I'm watching. I have the I have the jump on TV, and uh, OG Ananobi's list of things to be scared of is nice. is on it. Whales, cottage cheese. Wait, uh, you know what? I like cottage cheese, but I totally understand it as it is disturbing. a uh, as like a somebody who has some food phobias. Uh, it's you know, it's like curdly like it looks weird it looks like something somebody threw up uh if i didn't like it for whatever reason i would probably not want to eat it are you willing to share Does some of your sense? food phobias no i don't really want to do that okay I'm just uh, to, i really i'm just gonna dr- start dramatically revealing new foods around you to see if they get a reaction i, I mean i really don't like 
uh, like juicy tomato slices. No, really, I like tomato. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, what's what's a phobia and what's just something you don't like? Like, I, I, I have a friend who, like, if you put a tomato near him, he'll like throw his chair out from behind him and like run away from it. It's really weird. Uh, Actually, it's really a, weird. I apologize if anyone has any actual food phobias, and that's a thing. But. Yeah. Um, as an Eastern European Jewish person, um, say the whole word, I was exposed, uh, to a lot of chopped liver as a child, never got on board. It stinks and it looks like garbage and I don't want to, I don't want it around me. That makes sense. Like a liver pate, basically. By the way, uh, shout out to the guys at the score, Joe Cacharo and those guys, because they had Serge on and they... They spun the tables on Serge and got him something that he wouldn't eat. They flipped the script Ooh. on him. Nice. It was like some nice weird duck embryo. It was the grossest looking thing I've ever seen in my life. Hmm, I wonder how much budget they uh, used on that. That can't be cheap to to buy duck embryo. I have no idea. I'll ask the sandwich dad. He'll know. <laughs> All right. We should end this here. Um, Eric, thank you so much. We'll talk to you in a little bit. Travel, travel safely and well, my man. All right. Thanks. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you, I don't know, next week sometime. See ya. It's too late to be a reasonable man.